I'm uh, assuming that uh, some of you may have been aware of some of the events that have been happening over the last little while. I don't know how many of you actually got up really early in the morning yesterday to watch the royal wedding. Anybody? At all? I know I myself went to a hockey breakfast instead. First things first, man. And, And it was an awesome breakfast, so that was good. But whenever you have one of the royal family that's married, that, that's a pretty big deal. Especially when someone from the royal family marries someone who is an actress. There's kind of a combination of two worlds. It's kind of like Hollywood meets Hollywood. And uh, it, it's kind of a, a big deal. But maybe you noticed the one thing that seemed to light up the social media feeds after the wedding wasn't anything necessarily to do with the wedding. It was the sermon that was preached at the wedding. How about that? I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. When people are actually thinking more about a sermon than all the pomp and circumstance of a royal wedding, that's awesome. So uh, that's something to celebrate in particular. So we've got all kinds of things that, uh, that God has blessed us with, and one of those great gifts, of course, is His Word. And we're continuing to go through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We're calling it the King's Speech. And we're looking at various areas within that speech where the Lord is telling us how we are to to live as his followers. So we're just kind of working our way through that fifth chapter. I would invite you to stand with me as we read this morning's section from Matthew 5, starting with verse 33 through verse 37. That's Matthew 5, 33 to 37. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we we thank you for speaking to us and for giving us the ability to speak to you and and to each other. We desire more than anything to to speak the truth, even as, as you've spoken it to us, but there are a lot of times when we are tempted to stretch and to spin the truth to suit ourselves. And so we pray that you will show us how to speak with both truth and grace. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please take a seat. Let's begin with uh, a, uh, a few questions this morning. How many of you believe every word you hear from a politician? 
How, how many of you believe every word spoken to you by a used car salesman? Why is that? Because they lie a lot. That's right, not all of them. And if there are any used car salesmen in the crowd, I apologize. But part of the reason why we don't tend to, to take what they say seriously is because we have had them lie to us in the past. How many of you believe everything that you see on a television advertisement or everything that you see on the internet? Why? Because they lie. How many of you believe everything your preacher tells you? <laughs> Come on, I mean, preachers don't lie. See what I just did there? See, I, I actually lied when I said the preachers don't lie. See? All of us, on occasion, in more occasions than we would like to admit, tend to stretch the truth, spin the truth, because we know it is in our best interest. That's part of life. And, and we end up having this, this cynical attitude where we're wondering, every time someone talks to us, now, are they being straight with me? Or what's the spin? What's their angle? What are they after? Now, we can probably guess that Jesus weighs in on this a little bit in terms of how we use our speech. So last week, he told us to watch our eyes and to watch our hands. This week, he tells us to watch our mouths. And it's a lesson all of us need to learn. And it doesn't really matter how bright we are or how dim we are. We know that how we respond to people, the way in which we use our words, can either help our case or hurt our case. We can use our words to manipulate others. We can use our words so that they will believe us, whether we're telling them the truth or not. And somehow we learn how to move with, with this kind of, of culture of dishonesty so long as it meets our needs. Let, let me uh, ask you to imagine with me that you are a newly married male. And early on in your married life, your, your wife comes out of the bedroom wearing a brand new outfit. And, and she asks you these important words. Do these clothes make me look fat? Now you may not be the sharpest knife in the drawer, but you know how you answer that question will either help your cause or hurt your cause. Now, if you want to, to raise your, your brownie point level, how you respond to that is, here, I never thought I would see anything that could enhance your beauty. Guys, taking notes here? So, so if, if you kind of want to score good points there, you, you just kind of even more than normal, you just extol her beauty. And, and the, uh, the clothing that may have cost a fortune is not really an issue. Now, you may want to respond in a different fashion if you think 
those clothes are way too expensive and she needs to take them back. What you say is, I don't think those clothes do justice to your natural beauty. And you don't mention, well, have you tried Value Village? Because that's, that's going to cost you. Okay? So you, you know that depending on how you respond to that question, there are certain results that you can expect. Now, if you want to die, what you say is, well, I guess it does, but if you got them a couple sizes bigger, it would be no problem. Right? That, that, that is a lose-lose kind of situation. So we, we know that the way in which we use our words has impact. And Jesus knows this as well. And so he calls us to a stewardship, a proper management of our words. And that's what he has been doing all the way along in this portion of, uh, of the Sermon on the Mount. And he continues on today with the verses that we've just been looking at a few moments ago. It turns out that what we say does matter. And if Jesus is trying to give us a picture about how it's going to be like if we live like true followers of Jesus, if he's showing us his messianic imagination for his kingdom to come, where things will be done on earth as they are in heaven, then our speech will have to follow suit. And so he's going to tell us a little bit, talk to us a bit, uh, about how we are to use our speech. And normally, as, his, as he has been doing up to this point, he, he does this in terms of a contrast. He uses the, the rule-keeping religion of the religious authorities of the day, the scribes and the Pharisees, over here on this one hand, saying, well, here's how the, your normal contemporaries, those who you look up to, how they view life. This is how they live. This is what they consider that puts them in right relationship with God. Over here, rule-keeping religion. And then over here is the kingdom religion. This is what Jesus wants us to be acting like. This is our lives under his rule in his keeping. And so he starts by saying, well, here's how the rule keepers look at things, and this is how he begins in verse 33. We've heard this this same kind of arrangement and structure several times before. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Now verse 33 is a very good example of rule-keeping religion. Now when it talks about swearing here, it's talking about swearing an oath or taking a vow. It's not prohibiting profane or filthy speech, which is a good idea, by the way, but that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about those people who want others to believe them to the extent that they swear an oath. They take an oath and and say, as God is my witness, what I say to you is true. Or if what I say is wrong, may God zap me with lightning from heaven. That's what we mean by by swearing an oath or taking an oath. 
And so the rule keepers in the crowd are, are saying it is important that when you take this oath before God that you keep your word. It's very important. Now, you'll notice that Jesus isn't directly quoting any of the Ten Commandments here. And some of these other antitheses, as we call them, he kind of takes a look at how they've understood one of the Ten Commandments and then says, well, here's how I want you to understand it. Well, this one isn't really one of the top ten at all. Now, commandment number three is that we're not to take the Lord's name in vain. That's similar, and that's kind of connected, but that's not identical to what Jesus is talking about. Because in the Old Testament, there are several passages there that talk to to Israel and saying, if you perform an oath, if you take an oath, you need to come across with your promise. And and this is what Jesus gives us as an example of rule-keeping religion, but we kind of wonder, well, what's... What's wrong with that? <laughs> why, why would Jesus take exception to that? If you promise something before God, wouldn't that be a, a good thing to actually keep, keep your promise? So there isn't necessarily anything wrong with it, but in, in doing so, you have to make sure that we're understanding our motivation. So we want to follow through with those things that we promise before God. First of all, because if we don't, God's going to hold us accountable. And secondly, we want to, to be true to our word because when we don't, we cast aspersions on God's reputation. It's a slap in God's face. So there are all kinds of good reasons... If we promise something before God, if we invoke the name of the Lord to give security to our word, we want to come through. But what Jesus is saying is being true to your word just because you have promised it before God is not good enough. As a matter of fact, he would equate that kind of behavior with what I call being a verbal Pharisee. Now, verbal Pharisees are are those that tend to quibble with words. They stretch the law so they can kind of do whatever it is they want. They want to keep the resemblance of them being good and high and holy people, but they're going to kind of stack rule upon rule so that when they really need to, they can wiggle out from underneath what God wants. So according to to the verbal Pharisees, what they're saying is keep your word when you swear before God. Would would Jesus, you'd think, have anything against that? Well, I guess he does. (laughs) Because the very next verse, this is what he says. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all. That sounds a little heavy, does it not? What's he trying to say? Why would Jesus take such a hard line on this anyway? Well, he gives us a little bit of a hint in what continues. Do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. 
It seems what had happened here is that the verbal Pharisees were fudging a little bit on the law, and they were making their own rules. So they would say, it's really important if you swear by the name of God that you come across with your promise. But if you swear by something that is a little less sacred than the name of God, you've got, you've got a little wiggle room. You don't necessarily have to follow through with what you've promised. So you can swear by heaven, technically, because that's not evoking the name of God. Or you could swear by earth, because that's his creation, but we know he's in heaven. Or you could swear by Jerusalem, that holy city. Or you can swear by your own head. And if you do that, then, you know, push comes to shove, and it's more in your favor to, to renege on your promise. You can do it. You see, what they've done is they've stretched the law past its intent. And they seem to care more for their own reputation than God's. And that's what Jesus is taking exception to. You don't mess with the intent of your promises before God. These verbal Pharisees were masters with messing with language just so they could get what they wanted. And if they wanted the freedom to break their word, they had all the rules and regulations that they needed to uh, allow that to happen. And they were always finding little ways to stretch the truth, to get what they wanted, regardless of what God said they should do. Now, when you, when you think of this kind of attitude by saying, well, we can't swear by the name of the Lord, but maybe we could swear by heaven, doesn't it sound a little bit like you're talking to children? When, when we lived in, in PEI, we lived out in an acreage. We lived right beside a road that joined Charlottetown to the North Shore, the home of Anna Green Gables. Free plug. Okay. So it was a, a very, very narrow, very busy, and very dangerous highway. And so being the caring and thoughtful parents that we were, we kept saying to our kids over and over again, don't run out onto the road. Excellent parenting. It, it makes perfect sense, does it not? It is designed for their safety. But apparently, it doesn't make that same kind of logical sense to the mind of a child. Because we kept saying, don't run out into the road. And they would say, but dad, they had island access, but dad, could, could I ride my bike on the road? No. But Dad, can I walk on the road? No. But Dad, can I play in the ditch right beside the road? No. But Dad, if I wrap myself in bubble wrap, can I walk on the road? I, I made that one up. But you know the point? 
you feel like you're, you're arguing with a child because they're looking for a loophole. And that's why Jesus takes them to task for this because they're expressing their spiritual childishness by trying to get away from the intent of the law. And that's just simply, use your integrity. Speak the truth. Follow through. Why would these spiritual or these verbal Pharisees stretch the rules so wide? Did they honestly think if they didn't swear by God's name but but swore by, by heaven that God wasn't paying attention? Or that they swore by the earth that God wasn't present on the earth? <laughs> did, did they normally think that if you swore by your head you could actually change your hair color? I don't know, but even pondering that just it seems awesome to me. I mean, if, if I had that capacity, I would have dark hair again. And quite frankly, I would have a ponytail because I just think that would be cool. But it doesn't work that way. You, 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 you can't make those kinds of changes. You can't try to con God by, by promising one thing and delivering another. It, it means that your, your words are worth nothing. And Jesus is saying, if, if you're going to be my followers in, in my kingdom, you need to follow through. If you promise something, you need to follow through. And that's what he's calling for. It suggests that we need to be as interested in God's reputation as in our own, with God's agenda as we are interested in our own. Now, I'm sure you already know this, but the Pharisees weren't the only religious group at the time of Jesus. You probably all know that. You've heard of the Sadducees and others, right? But there is another group that were along uh, those lines at the time of Jesus. They were called the Essenes. Now, the Essenes were, were kind of spiritual Jewish marines, commandos. They, they lived, most of them anyway, lived in kind of monastery communities. Most of them were celibate in order to become part of an Essene community. And maybe you've heard of Qumran. Remember that, that community where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, right by the Dead Sea? That was an Essene community. You had to test your worth for three years before they would let you into one of their communities. They felt they were better than everyone else. They were purer than everyone else. They spent long days working, studying the scriptures. Baked by the desert sun, they were surrounded by, by uh, mountains and desert. Their swimming hole was called the Dead Sea. These are serious people. Now, I'm, I'm not necessarily suggesting that, that we emulate all that. <laughs> about the, uh, the Essenes, that, you know, that we should, should be self-righteous and, and kind of Christian commandos thinking that everyone else is impure besides ourselves because, quite frankly, there's kind of a little bit of care import in that a bit. So like we, that's not what Jesus is asking for here. But what I think would be the important connection is in the words of a Jewish historian of the same era of Jesus. His name was Flavius Josephus. And in one of his works, he said 
that the word of an Essene was stronger than an oath. In other words, you could believe when an Essene told you something that it was true. And if they promised you something, they would come across with that promise. They were people of their word. And so what Jesus is saying in my own kind of weird translation, it's don't be verbal Pharisees. Be verbal Essenes. (laughs) And just keep your word. Full stop. Doesn't matter. No quibbling over details here and there. Just keep your word. Allow what you say to be true. Speak it with conviction and compassion. He wants us to have that kind of integrity. That our words are true. He wants us to have the guts to say what we mean and to mean what we say. He doesn't want us to use spineless speech. He wants us to use spinless speech. Pure, unadorned truth. He wants us to speak the truth even when it costs us something. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, maybe this is an opportunity where we can just simply be rude and obnoxious and have Jesus' support. That's not what he's talking about here. He's just saying we need to have the integrity to make sure that we follow up with what we say. And so that's why he says, let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil, or even the evil one. Satan could go, could be translated either way. Now his little brother James says pretty much the same thing in chapter 5. He says, let your yes be yes, and your no be no. And you don't have to adorn that with anything else. Because remember, what Jesus is showing is the contrast between rule-keeping religion, on the other hand, that comes from a rule-keeping heart, and kingdom religion that comes from a kingdom heart. Why is our speech, why is what we say so important? Because Jesus says later on, out of the abundance of the heart... The mouth speaks. What we say is a reflection of our heart. Now, if we recognize the importance and the significance of that truth, I think all of us have a lot of confessing to do. How many of us are faultless in our speech? How many of us are sloppy with how we report the truth and fudge on it just in the smallest degree when it's in our favor? This this is something that in all kinds of ways impacts us all. Jesus wants us to be people of integrity who speak plainly with both compassion and conviction. It's a reflection of our kingdom heart. 
And all we have to do is just for a moment, imagine the kind of difference it would make if even one of us, let alone all of us, one of us pledged to speak with this kind of unadorned truth. Philip Yancey, who is a well-known writer, uh, has written a book called What Good is God? And in it, he tells a story about the Orange Revolution in the Ukraine in 2004 and 2005. So I don't know how, how many of you know a little bit about this, but the Ukrainian government was beyond belief corrupt. Everyone knew it, but there were very few that were standing up against it. Until a guy named Viktor Yushchenko came forward as a reformer and put himself forward as a candidate for the presidential election in the Ukraine. He almost died for his bravery because he was standing up against systemic corruption. Now the day of the election came and it was quite obvious to anyone who was observing that Yushchenko has, had actually won the election. But in, in an act of, of obvious fraud, the government worked it so that uh, Yushchenko was actually declared the loser. And on the state-run television, this message was announced. Ladies and gentlemen, we announce that the challenger Viktor Yushchenko has been decisively defeated. And this was broadcast all the way through the Ukraine on the state-run television system. But the government had forgotten one little thing about state TV. Because down in the bottom right-hand corner of the screen, they would allow for those who would sign the messages for those who were, who were deaf. And when this false message was broadcast to the entire country, there was one brave interpreter who was doing the sign language down in the bottom right-hand corner of the screen, and this was the message that she signed. I am addressing the deaf citizens of Ukraine. Don't believe what they say. They are lying, and I am ashamed to translate these lines. Yushchenko is our president. Now all of a sudden, when, when the deaf community in Ukraine got the truth of the message, of course they're on their cell phones and things get lit up and all of a sudden the journalists come involved and it starts what is known as the Orange Rebellion. A non-violent rebellion that was raised against a corrupt government that would not do as it said. And over the course of 2004 and 2005, there was this massive, peaceful uprising, this orange revolution brought about by speaking simply the truth. 
that caused a new presidential election in 2005 when Yushchenko was appropriately elected as the president of Ukraine. It started with one person who had the integrity to tell the truth. And look what happened. The amazing results of one person. So when we think of of Jesus' challenge to just say, keep your word. If, If you need something to remind you of that, Just think orange. The amount of impact that one courageous woman had on an entire nation because she spoke the truth. She kept her word. That's all Jesus is asking from us. To, to allow our hearts to be so sold out to the Lord Jesus that when our hearts overflow with words, they speak words of integrity and truth. And we don't spend inordinate amounts of time trying to figure out the spin that we need to put on our words to help ourselves rather than to advance the gospel or to enhance the reputation of the Lord. I, I know all of us have, have areas we need to address in, in this regard, my, myself included. And I, and I know all of us, in some way or another, are probably feeling the pinch, that little kind of awkward sense within us saying, ooh, I could be in trouble here. Jesus doesn't just want us to feel guilty. He wants us to feel forgiven. He wants us to be forgiven. And all he's asking from us, as as his followers, is, is to simply just lay down that desire we have to spin the truth so that we look good that it comes into, into our favor, that we can communicate and we can manipulate as much as we want. We just, we just need to lay that down and desire more than anything that our speech will reflect the pure, true values of the kingdom of heaven. So one way or another, the Lord Jesus is asking us to lay our tongues on the altar. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to do the same thing that I did with the hands last week. And quite frankly, I'm not sure this altar is long enough for some of our tongues. Right? Some of us have big issues here. But he is calling all of us in the area where this affects our lives to simply lay our speech at the altar because that speech is an expression of our hearts. And he just wants our hearts (laughs) dedicated to him. Express the things that he wants to express. To be courageous and compassionate with the truth in the same way that he was. 
we already know that this is Pentecost Sunday. What a legacy. Because on Pentecost, we, we celebrate the gospel, the, the downpouring of the Spirit, but the spreading of the gospel as these people in all other kinds of languages spread the mighty deeds of God. That's the legacy of this morning. The truth being broadcast to nations from all over the Mediterranean basis. The beginning of the spread of the gospel and the earliest years of the church. That's what this day stands for. And on this day, Jesus is calling all of us to simply speak the truth. Let our yes be yes and our no be no. And if and when we pledge this simple pledge, Jesus has just one response. He says, Yes! Amen.